Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government market, this podcast is for you. Today, we were returning to one of our favorite topics, debriefings after a competition. This episode is brought to you by the team of former contracting officers at Skyway Acquisition. Learn more at skywaymember.com. Okay, now let's get started with the importance of debriefings. Does anybody like doing debriefings? I don't know that I would use the word like. There were ones that I didn't actually dread, but I wouldn't say that I liked them. From, from the industry side, I hate going to debriefings. They're always awkward. awkward. You just stare at each other and you never know if you're actually going to get information that helps you understand why you lost. You know, it's already bad enough. You're going to a debrief because you lost. Now they're going to tell you why you're a loser. <laughs> the closest <laughs> analogy I can think of is no matter how much we try to professionalize this, you're firing somebody or, or a better analogy is, is that you're telling them they didn't get the job. So yeah. During the interview process, you're like, thanks for going for the interview, but, you know, this, this job's not for you. Even though it probably is obvious that the, the candidate's not a fit for the job, or it should be, right? Uh, there could be evidence all over the place. And even when the person who applied for the job goes, yeah, I can see that I'm not going to get this, that debriefing still feels awkward. Even if the contractor understands why they lost, it still feels like you're walking through the live wires at the end of a Tough Mudder. And for those of you who haven't done a Tough Mudder, at the very end, as you run to the finish line, there are all these wires, like hundreds of them all uh, lining up, and a couple of them are live. And so as you run through them, you don't know which ones are live. And so, zip, you get zapped by a couple. <laughs> and that's what it's like on the government side of the debrief. You don't know which points, which things you're going to say that are going to zap you, that are going to set the contractor off. Here's the thing. The debriefing is one of the most critical parts of the acquisition process. I mean, it, it creates an environment where the seller is entitled to feedback. It's like the candidate who doesn't get the job is entitled to know why they didn't get the job. Rather than just the form letter that says, we're sorry, we'll keep your resume on yeah. file for future opportunities that you'll never get hired for. Don't call us, we'll call you, yeah, that letter. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we can debate, and we will actually debate, you know, how valuable debriefings sometimes are versus how valuable they could be. Because in general terms, just knowing anything about how we lost is a, is a huge opportunity. If it's done right, the debriefing, it's a unique opportunity to insert open communication and to share context. All right, before we argue about debriefings, let's stop and say thanks. I want to say thanks to four people for liking and sharing our content regularly on LinkedIn. We have Stephanie Suri from General Dynamics, which is a large business. We have Cynthia Geddes, Geds, sorry if I butchered your name, from Quantech Services, which is a mid-sized company. Jason Royce from SDV International, which is a small business, and Brian Kopik, who's a contracting officer at NASA. It's really great that we have people from all sizes of companies and from the government side helping other people from all sides of companies and from the government side find the Contracting Officer Podcast. Maybe we can make government contracting better one contract at a time. Haven't used that tagline in a long time. Thought I'd throw it in there. Well played, sir. All right, back to debriefs. A debriefing is a limited explanation of why an offer lost. In, in government terms, they call that the unsuccessful offer. <laughs> I, always, I always love to knock on that. That doesn't make it feel any better. Debriefings are mandatory communication, and it's weird that it's mandatory. But this is a place where the government market can actually be more transparent than the private sector. Yeah, that alone is, is worth mentioning. 
let's say it's translucent. It's not transparent, but the commercial market, it's opaque. You know, right. So I'm hiring a roofer to look at my house. We had a hurricane blow through. You may have. <laughs> right. Just a little hurricane. No yes. big deal. <laughs> Category four. The thing is whatever. a little hurricane, whatever. Right. So I'm, I'm getting quotes from roofers and there, this is a market I don't necessarily understand because you replace a roof like what every 30 years. So it's not something you do all the time. So I'm becoming an educated buyer. So I'm trying to decide what are my evaluation criteria. You know, I, I'm looking for obviously I'm looking for somebody who knows what they're Price, doing. Price, quality, past performance. Yeah, how long have they been doing this? What kind of shingles are they going to use? Am I going to have shingle versus tile? All of that stuff, right? And so when this is all over and I pick one, I'm not going to call them back and go, "Yeah, you didn't get the contract because I didn't like the fact that you used Owens Corning." shingles that were only rated for 130 mile per hour winds instead of 120, which by the way, is a conversation I had yesterday <laughs> with the roof, <laughs> but they don't know any of that stuff. Right. So just like with Skyway, when we, when I talk to companies, the ones that decide to do something else, I have no idea why. In fact, I call them and ask cause I'm curious, but they, they don't have to tell me anything. Yeah. A lot of times it's not just that they selected someone else. You may not know whether they selected anyone. They may have chosen not to buy anything. Like you said, it's opaque. They don't owe you any information and they're not likely to tell you any, anything about why they went a different direction. Yeah. In sales, that's called a no decision, which yeah. still means that it's a no. That's because our target is private or public companies. It's not government. So yeah, we don't have any access to this. So in the government market, the fact that the seller is entitled to know anything, it's a huge opportunity. It's an institutionalized opportunity to communicate. I mean, think about that. Here's the catch. If it's not well done, it's a missed opportunity to make government contracting better one contract at a time. Wow, twice in one episode. <laughs> Here is a phenomenal opportunity that's in, in the schedule, that's built into the process for us to communicate. Let me describe the rails that are around debriefing before we go any farther. The FAR lays out the minimum information that a debriefing must include, and it says shall include, which that's shall's the big word, right, in, in the contracts world. Shall means have to do this. So this is FAR 15506D. This is a list of things that, at a minimum, debriefing information shall include the government's evaluation of the significant weaknesses or deficiencies in the offer's proposal, if applicable. And it says significant weaknesses or deficiencies. So they don't have to tell you every single weakness. They have to tell you the big reasons why you lost. Next, it says the overall evaluated cost or price and technical rating of the successful offer, the winner, and you, the debriefed offer, including past performance information on your proposal. So that's good. Also has to include the overall ranking of all offers if there was a ranking developed during the source selection, a summary of the rationale for award. For commercial items, you have, they have to tell you the make and model of the item that, that the successful offer is going to deliver. And also have to provide reasonable responses to relevant questions about whether they followed the procedures that they laid out in their source selection plan. And, and that's a big one because that's the thinking job is what is a reasonable response to a relevant question. So as, as a CEO, I used to be like, oh, they're asking questions. They're curious. That this, is, this is what gives them the, the authority is the wrong word. The, this is the entitlement, right? This is what allows them to ask those follow-up questions and why you should answer them. Because the expectation is communication. This goes back to our previous episodes where we talked about the fact that if you don't provide reasonable responses to their questions, they may protest because they don't understand 
why they lost. Okay, so that's the minimum that's required. There's also a list at, at 15506E of things that debriefing shall not include. So you don't get point-by-point -point comparisons of your proposal to the winner's proposal, and you don't get trade secrets, proprietary information, financial information about the winner's proposal, or the names of the people that provided the past performance information on you. So you can't learn who they are and go hunt them down for saying that you didn't perform well last time, right? It's funny. Face Facebook kind of hits the opposite, but anyway. <laughs> so the reason I wanted to bring that up, the FAR describes the minimum information that a debriefing must include. It doesn't provide a maximum. It has a few items that y you can't share. Well, of course not. They're, it's proprietary information. But there's really no limit on the amount of information that you're allowed to share in order to convince an offer why they lost. You've really nicely laid out where the bumpers are. And so the gap between what the minimum is and what the line you shall not cross, which is 52506E, is a huge chasm of information that could be shared. I don't think people realize just how big it is and how little risk there is of sharing more information as long as you don't get into the four things. There are only four things that are on 15506E that says you shall not share these. There's just so much information that could be shared that it's a missed opportunity to give people context. So they walk away mad that they lost, but not so mad that they're going to continue to fight with you over it. Mad, but with understanding. Mad, but content. Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't think you're ever content when you lost. That's true. All right. Where does this occur in the acquisition or execution time zones? This is in the acquisition time zones during the source selection zone, the last acquisition time zone. Obviously, we're talking about there's a source selection, you lost, now you're getting a debrief. Fits snugly within the source selection zone, unlike a lot of our topics that span multiple zones. Let's get into why debriefings are so important. We'll stick with two. They lead to better communication and they showcase an opportunity for more context. I want to dive into the communication side first. Debriefings are required, but they aren't required to communicate very much. There's a sliver of information that is actually required to be shared. I used to control the communication during the debriefing with a tight fist. I mean, my mindset used to be <laughs> when I was the CEO, when I, well, I was early in my career anyway. Right. If they don't know, they can't protest. That was the mindset, right? I thought that everything I said during the debriefing would just be protest fodder. I actually, I was convinced of that when I was a young contracting officer. I was convinced of that by the lawyers on the team, by the government lawyers. There was a point where we had to script out everything that we were going to say during the debrief, and we could only read it exactly what was there. Maybe it was because they didn't trust me. Maybe I was the live wire. <laughs> Who knows? But they, it was actually scripted out. You will say only these words and nothing else because they were so afraid that I would say something that would cause a protest. So in that kind of debrief, it's a very mechanical recitation of the facts and only the facts that now that I'm on the industry side, I can see you might as well just send me the charts or send me a letter that describes it if you're just going to read what the letter says and not really communicate. Recitation. I love that you're showing off. Yeah, the debriefing, I used to think it was a boxing ring. I mean, we, so we're, we're in the box. You know, it's like we're going to be we're going to be boxing. Ding, ding, ding. It's not. It's a conversation. And, you know, as I got more experienced, I realized that the debriefing is, is where some of the richest communication 
which again is something that you and I talk about constantly. It's where some of the richest communication can and should take place. It's the place where both sides get to look back and check the process. Did it make sense? Did we do it right? Can we part friends? Yeah, maybe not friends, but at least not enemies. I got to say the amount of information shared and the way it's shared from the contractor side feels directly proportional to the government's confidence in their decision. If you do get one of those scripted debriefs where everyone's afraid to say anything, from the contractor side, it feels like you're afraid to say anything because you did something wrong and screwed me out of the award, right? When I find that thing, I'm going to bring it. Yes. Right, because if you were confident in your decision, government, you could talk to me about it in plain English, and we could have a conversation about what, what you liked and what you didn't like that goes beyond just the strengths and weaknesses that are listed out and the color ratings. If you can't actually have a conversation about the reasons behind those rankings, it creates suspicion in industry's mind. I, th- I think it makes it worse. I think I think that's more likely to get a protest if it feels like you're not sharing information or you're afraid to share information because you might let leak the the secret that you actually cheated the contractor out of the award. How about and, that? I'm I'm on conspiracy mode this morning. Let me level off that perspective. What what also could be happening is that these are judgment calls. As a, as a CEO, as a source selection authority, I'm making a judgment call that this was not quite good enough. The RFP said we could decide what's not quite good enough. And that feels like protest fodder because now it's a debate over I decided it wasn't quite good enough. Of course, as the offer, you thought it absolutely was good enough. And so that debate rages, the fear of that debate raging on in the debriefing. But my point is until you share that information, you're not going to have that debate. And the contractor is assuming – and yeah, I think that that's where the conspiracy theory comes from by not telling you this is my judgment call. I don't think you did this as well. I don't think you're going to do it as well. Ergo, you didn't win the contract. That's a debate the contractor can't win because the source selection authority has the right to make judgment calls. But if you don't tell them the judgment call you made, their default setting is, oh, they're tricking us. Right. Yeah, there's the gap. So that leads us right into the other piece that you mentioned. There's communication that leads to context. The debrief is this – it's an opportunity to communicate openly about why your company, why this company is not the best company to do this job based on the proposal that they submitted. It's something that should be taken advantage of. Let's jump back to the job interview, so the, to the, the candidate who didn't get the job. If we don't have context, we'll say, Joe, this, this potential employee, if Joe doesn't have context, four things are going to happen. Well, lots of things happen, but these four examples. Number one is he's going to keep applying for jobs without getting any better. He's going to keep losing. If we don't tell him your communication style is not effective for this type of sales job, he's going to keep coming back. If he keeps submitting a resume that leaves out a big piece of his experience, if we don't tell him we didn't select you because you don't have experience in this, he maybe he has it, but he just left it off his resume. If he keeps submitting that same resume, if you don't tell him, you're going to keep having to see the same applicant over and tell him again, nope, we didn't pick you again. Yeah, that, that's number two. And then number three is that we end up taking longer to fill positions because we're getting more and more resumes from unqualified people. This goes back to targeting, but it also goes to communication through the debriefing. If the company knows through the debriefing that this is not an agency where they're going to win work, they're going to stop bidding, right? Well, the other side of that is if they never get a real understanding of why they didn't win, they're going to assume it's something like price. They're just going to keep bidding lower and lower and lower. They're going to keep coming back to the well, even though it's a dry well. 
which eats up valuable time of both sides. You got people writing proposals for contracts they can't win. You got evaluators and government folks evaluating proposals that they don't want to get. <laughs> both of those are bad. That leads us right into the fourth one, the fourth factor here. They may be applying for a job at the wrong company. If the bidder doesn't fit the company culture, in this case, if the government contractor doesn't f understand the culture of the agency, it's, it's like somebody who used to work at New York Life, which is a company that's been around for 150 years, very conservative, you know, financial, and they apply for a job at Google, which has only been around for less than 20 years, if you can believe that, and completely different culture. If you don't know the difference between those two companies, and think about it, if you're an industry person and you've never worked in these agencies, you may not know. You may not understand the different cultures for a facilities maintenance contract between the Department of the Interior, Department of the Air Force, and the GSA. They're very different agencies that have different goals, et cetera. You could be applying for a job with the wrong organization. The debriefing is a great environment to be able to say, you don't seem to understand the following, as opposed to giving them kind of just an overall general consensus that says you lost because the other guy was better, right? If that's the right. message they hear, they're going to come back and go, well, I'll be better next time. <laughs> and they'll just keep coming back to you. And yeah, all of a sudden- Better how is the important part, right? Yeah. yeah better how. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Better how. Let's talk about how the government can improve the, the thought process behind debriefings. It's the system we have, right? So don't mail it in. I mean, it's a huge opportunity because if we mail it in, contractors will protest until they get context. And so the way to do this, and this is something I learned- <laughs> Begin with the end in mind. By the way, thank you, Stephen Covey. That's one of those seven habits things, right? Right. Imagine the acquisition process in terms of having to explain what, what we did at the debriefing. I was doing an acquisition for software development, and the offers were very close in technical and close enough in price, right? And so the question became, well, this one, we could pick this one to win, but they were close enough that there's a, there was logic in having them do a final proposal revision. So we asked the question of, at the debriefing, when they say, why didn't you just give us another chance to sharpen our pencil and come up with a, with a slightly better strategy when was this close? To avoid that conversation and realizing that it actually was a, it's a valid question, <laughs> we said, you know what? We'll do a final proposal revision. So that was an example of we actually talked about what are we going to say when we get asked this question at the debriefing? Yep. How are we going to explain our decision? How are we going to help the, loser, the eventual loser understand why they lost? Exactly. We need to have that documentation in place and an FPR in this case is the way to do that. And then I also have done it poorly where we, <laughs> we awarded a service contract and we awarded without discussions. It was a big contract. And because we didn't give them enough context of why we did that, because think about it, they just all of a sudden, hey, everybody who bid, sorry, you all lost except for this guy. Looking back, I think the question we should have asked was at the debriefing when they say, why didn't you hold discussions on this? We, we better have a really good answer. And we didn't. From the industry side, Industry is in disbelief at this point. How could we not win this? We're obviously the best. We spent all this time and energy. Don't you know how great we are? How could you pick somebody else? Spent a lot of time and energy submitting these proposals. At this point, industry wants context. Sometimes people are just pissed off and they want to protest. We're going to protest this. Most of the time, along with that anger, comes the craving for the context of why didn't we win? I joked before about the, the fix being in, you know, contractors have these conspiracy theories that it was all for someone else. That context of, hey, we lost fair and square, not only does it help settle that down, settle those conspiracy theories down, but it helps the offers understand 
how to do better next time. It helps them understand the culture of that agency. Hey, why didn't we win this one? Ah, this agency is in a mode now where they're craving better technological solutions that may cost more. Or this agency's budget's really strained and they're looking for the lowest price that meets the minimum needs. That may not have been clear. The debrief can explain that. If it doesn't, the contractor is going to remain pissed off until they figure out why they lost fair and square. And if they never gain that understanding that it was an honest competition and they lost to a better offer, they're going to remain angry. I was working with a client recently on helping them navigate a debriefing for a contract that they lost. The goal from, from the get-go was to get enough context to not protest. We helped them craft the right questions and then put them in the right order and, and have a conversation as opposed to going in in an argumentative environment because we needed to get enough context to realize that protesting was not going to get us anywhere. And through that conversation, once we had that context, the focus moved away from understanding whether or not we're going to protest. And it got more into a conversation of how do we get better on the next one? So think in terms of once you can realize I have enough context that I'm not going to win this contract and I know why I'm not going to win it. Now I can start doing what you just talked about, which is understand that this is an opportunity, a golden opportunity to have a conversation about where is the agency going? What th- are you changing your acquisition strategy? Is, was this a one-off thing or is this how acquisitions are going to be in the future? And the CEO may or may not be able to give you that detail, but it's the best time to, if there is a place, that's the best time to do it. Because once you, once the CEO is confident that you're not going to protest, I'm, I'm much more open to having a conversation with you because now it's, it's, it's not a boxing ring anymore. It's just a conversation. It can become a win-win situation for the government and the industry in this case. Government gets better proposals next time. Industry has a better chance to win next time. Okay, this one's going long. Let's wrap it up, Kevin. The debriefing is an opportunity to prevent protests, not cause them. I didn't see that when I was a CEO. I had <laughs> protest fodder. I, that's how I went into it. So use the debriefing to provide context. Everyone is seeking context. So bring that context from both sides. The proposal that comes in should be full of context. We talk about that a lot. Not just we can do it, but why we can do it. The evaluation and a decision should be full of context. And then the debriefing should be full of context. Without context, industry can often leave a debriefing feeling like the fix was in. This is where those conspiracy theories come from. If it doesn't make sense, if it's just, you lost, this other guy won, we picked them, they were rated higher than you, and we're not telling you any of the details behind that, then it feels like, why'd you even do a competition if you were just going to pick them? And like you said, that's the core of the conspiracy theory. If the offer feels like they wasted their time bidding on something they had no chance to win, the debriefing is the opportunity to explain to them that that was not the case. Or it's the opportunity for them to solidify that opinion, which just leads <laughs> to bad places. All right, Kevin. I'll talk to you later. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks again to our sponsor, Skyway Acquisition. Skyway's team of former contracting officers gives you context in the government market. Take the next step by getting a personal license to the Skyway community. Visit skywaymember.com to learn more. Thanks for joining us today.